The following sermon was delivered by a guest preacher in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person, or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's our guest preacher. Every year, King is honored. People quote his speeches and ascribe high honor to his prophetic witness. We honor the fact that he was nonviolent and we especially admire that he was in his mere 30s when he led this country down an uncertain path. As Justine Waddle reminds us, Dr. King did not just peacefully protest for school desegregation. He did not just condemn violence, he also advocated for unions and poverty eradication. He spoke out against the Vietnam War and military spending. He preached that all people had the right to receive health care, to work a job that paid a livable wage, and to reach economic equality. Dr. King was far more radical than we acknowledge. King, in fact, was the most hated man in America at the end of his life. Even his own organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, reprimanded him for offending the president and country when he spoke against imperialism and war. King was a revolutionary leader, although he has been sanitized to fit our neat middle-class rhetoric and programs about justice. Revolutionary leaders shock and surprise us, pushing us out of our uncomfortable context. King was such a revolutionary leader. Well, in our text this morning that you find in your bulletin, we read a shocking parable. In Luke 18, one through eight, Jesus tells a parable about prayer through centering one particular woman an unnamed widow who courageously and unapologetically demands justice and demands for her agency and humanity to be taken seriously. I think this unnamed widow has something revolutionary to teach us today about prayer and protest in these divisive, uncertain, and inequitable times. So let's start with the shocking actions of the unnamed widow that Jesus describes in this parable. Now to understand the way in which this widow proves to be courageous, revolutionary, and unconventional, it's important to note the conventional images of widows in the Gospel of Luke. As scholar of Christian origins Amy Jill Levine notes, the writer Luke, for the most part, provides conventional images of widows. The first widow we meet in Luke is Anna, who is the 84-year-old widow who never left the temple but worshiped there with fasting and prayer day and night. And Anna sets the agenda for Luke's widows. Anna prays and fasts. She does not, however, speak. She does not engage the public. She will not cause any trouble. From Anna, Luke reminds the reader of the many widows of Israel who were starving under, Roman imperial, under the Roman imperial order. Luke also follows up with widows who mourn the death of loved ones, such as the widows mourning the death 
of Tabitha in Luke 9. Moreover, Luke echoes the writer of Acts in which widows were often overlooked in the early church's daily distribution of food. Widows were victims. Widows in ancient Palestine were treated as marginalized subjects, property beings, and marked bodies. Widows were often exploited as their survival depended on the men in their lives. Without these men, they were doomed often to an impoverished life. And what's most interesting is that throughout the Torah and prophetic writings, the widow does not plead on her own behalf. That is the responsibility of the community. We see these commands to plead and care for the widow in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Malachi, even in the book of Job. Before the parable of this unnamed widow, widows in general were described in conventional ways a way of discussing women without voice or power, women who simply depended on the community to speak on their behalf. So in order to question the conventional understanding of widows who simply pray and mourn their lot in life as others speak for them, Jesus offers this parable of the unnamed widow and presents an image of this widow as a woman who is less on her knees in the traditional sense of prayer and more a woman with a fist as she prays, a woman who prays and demands that her voice be heard, a woman who demands justice on her own behalf in the most public and scandalous way, as women's appearance in courts were seen as inappropriate. I think this parable offers deep insights on the relationship between prayer and protest. And this relationship matters as we reflect on King's life, as prayer and protest grounded King's witness. So I want to ask this question. I want us to ponder this question on this morning. What does this parable of the unnamed widow teach us about prayer and protest? Consider the first insight. Jesus' parable of this unnamed widow teaches us that prayer and protest perhaps go hand in hand. In fact, this widow demonstrates that her protest is a form of prayer. This parable provides an interesting theological turn in the text. The interesting theological turn in this text uh, is that this parable begins with likening this widow's protest actions to prayer. This is counterintuitive to the ancient hearers Jesus is speaking to. This is also counterintuitive, I would argue, in our culture today. As prayer is often seen as a spiritual practice that is perhaps otherworldly, maybe even meditative, in contrast to the direct action that protest often uh, signifies. Moreover, in society, prayer is oftentimes within a more secular culture seen as something for the weak, as an opiate of the masses to keep them from rising up and acting. In the church world, Political action protest is often denounced in favor of prayer. In the religious world, prayer is seen as that which connects one's inner self to God. Prayer is described as essential, to use Howard Thurman's words, to the inward journey. Protest, on the other hand, 
is seen as an option to one's religious identity or spiritual walk. And sometimes protest is seen as antithetical to prayer, as it assumes we are attempting to be God by correcting things in society. Protest then is not seen as necessary, like prayer to spiritual formation. This parable throws all of these assumptions I've named into question. The widow in the parable teaches us that prayer and protest are not two different things. This widow in this parable shows us that prayer at its best is righteous action or protest, that prayer is only for the strong as it requires us as prayerful people to act on the faith we profess. In this text, prayer is not an opiate for the people. It is not the kind of prayer to passively sedate our spirits as we sit on the sidelines. This is not the kind of prayer to enlarge our bank accounts, not the kind of prayer to secure material blessings for me, myself, and I. This is a thy kingdom come, we won't stop until justice is done kind of prayer. This is if God before us, who can be against us collectively kind of prayer. This is though justice delays, it will not be denied kind of prayer. This is a prayer for world changers. In this text, Jesus is challenging the hearers to rethink how we pray, what prayer is. Prayer is not so much about speaking, but doing. This widow just doesn't speak prayer, but decides to embody prayer. And embodying prayer is about allowing our prayers to have hands and feet in the world to enact love and justice with God. Embodying prayer is about refusing to let the status quo have the last say. Embodying prayer is about defiantly disrupting principalities and powers in high places that dehumanize and degrade as King did during his time. Embodying prayer is about choosing to be the Jesus movement that privileges the downtrodden and dispossessed. We must relearn what prayer is all about. At its best, prayer is righteous, just, and loving action. But consider this second insight from this parable. In this parable, there is a theological dilemma. This parable presents a tension that cannot be easily resolved. The parable shows that this widow is willing to attack the judge if her request went unmet. So wait a minute, how can it be that the very passage that lifts up the widow as a model of prayer and resistance simultaneously shows that the widow will potentially resort to violence if her demand is not met. In verse five within the NRSV for our scriptural reading on today in Luke, biblical scholar Conrad Weiss argues that the judge's internal comment of the widow not wearing him out corresponds to a boxing term in Greek. The phrase wear me out means to beat up, strike me in the face, do violence to me, or to give me a black eye. The text reveals that the widow was not operating with a 
politics of respectability or even a pacifist politic. How do we grapple then with this text a parable Jesus privileges about a widow who is clearly a courageous model of resistance, standing for justice, but who will overtly employ violence if she needs to. What do we do with that? I believe that this parable shows us that unjust systems which constantly create violence tend to reproduce a sense of trauma in those who feel the weight of injustice. Systems of violence often have a way of sucking everyone in due to the pain and wounding from structural violence. This widow has been traumatized. I want to note that many commentaries insist that in Jewish society and in Roman society, a widow had no legal rights to her dead husband's estate. And so the widow would often be forced out of her house onto the streets where she had no choice but to beg. It is understood that this was perhaps this widow's set of circumstances. And if so, why wouldn't she be fierce? Why wouldn't she be tired and angry? Why wouldn't she be defiant? But don't judge the widow though. She is attempting to reclaim her agency and humanity within a system that refuses her request for justice, her request to simply be treated as a human being. As v Victor Hugo powerfully stated, the guilty one is not he who commits the sin in the dark, but he who causes the darkness. The impulse, at least my impulse, is for me, for us to judge the widow for her approach without judging the source, an unjust system. The judge represents systemic evil and institutional corruption, and the text lets us know that. The judge doesn't grant her request out of his sense of justice or goodness, but because the widow was unrelenting, and he felt threatened and forced by her courageous approach to give her what she asked for. Now, I want to be clear, because, you know, Pastor Scott has invited me. I am not condoning or promoting violence. Not doing that. But this parable, my friends, is meant to disturb. It is meant to disturb how we morally evaluate people, what is right or wrong. This parable asks us to walk into this tension, into this liminal space, and live here. Sit inside of people's pain, understand the exhaustion, trauma, anger, and brokenheartedness before we assess what people should or should not be doing. This parable invites us to exercise empathy. We can understand and exercise empathy that the widow feels she has no choice but to potentially resort to violence. This question of empathy can be extended to our current moment. Can we exercise empathy for immigrants being deported and torn from their children's arms, for the young black man who constantly sits under the gazing eyes of society for simply being black, or for the Muslim who is immediately distrusted for his, her, or their religion. When asked to denounce people who riot, King responded that a riot is the language of the unheard. We must go deeper and acknowledge and work against the structures that create the violence and darkness. 
structures that reproduce anger and pain in individuals who are targeted by systems and feel unheard. We must exercise empathy. I am grateful that Jesus did not count this widow out because of her anger as her cause and demand for justice was right. Her holy goal was ultimately to give injustice and oppression a black eye. But consider this final insight. The parable doesn't end with our actions alone in verses seven and eight. At the end of the parable, Jesus asked the how long question. He asked, when the son of man comes, will he find this kind of faith on earth? In other words, Jesus asked, will there be someone audacious enough to actually ask and believe for a better world? Will there be a group that refuses to confuse the world's no to justice with God's radical yes to justice? Will we truly believe that our prayer as protests matter and wrap our flesh around the prayers we profess about who God is and what God can do? Will God find folks who will not lose heart? Will the Son of Man find anyone as bold and defiant and revolutionary and courageous as the unnamed widow? The parable teaches us that God will hear our cries and vindicate our cause we do not walk alone. God will respond to our cries for deliverance. God will co-partner with our cause, but we must pray, protest, and not become weary and not give up. We must do our part and trust that God will do God's part. We have many unjust judges today, unjust rulers and institutions who do not desire to put the needs of people first. But as I conclude, I am reminded that God is the judge, bringing justice and love to us within and beyond the histories of this world. I'm reminded of the wisdom associated with a mantra in one of my favorite movies, a movie entitled The Great Debaters, an HBCU team, debating team at Wiley College that eventually debates Harvard and goes on to win and becomes the first black school to win a, champion, a championship in the debating association. But I'm, I, what I love, what I'm curious about is the mantra, this call and response format that the coach would do with the team members. And the mantra went something like this. The coach would say, who is the judge? And the team would respond together, God is the judge. And the coach would ask, and why is God the judge? And the team would respond, because God chooses who wins and who loses, not my opponent. And the coach says, and who is your opponent? And they respond, he doesn't exist. And the coach asks, and why does he not exist? And they say together, because he is merely the dissenting voice of the truth that I speak. This is what King did. King knew that all that was going on in our society, that whatever was being said counter to the message of love, hope, and justice, that that was merely a dissenting voice of the truth that he spoke. We must speak the truth, friends. No matter how hard it is, speak the truth. No matter how unpopular it may be, speak the truth. What a powerful declaration to speak the truth. We are called to speak the truth 
and to marry our prayers to action and protest. Amen. Now, my friends, go in the power of God and let us remember to marry our prayers to righteous, loving, and just action. God is co-partnering, willing to co-partner with us. Will we respond to the call? Go forth in peace. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.